Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fathom in Conversation, a new economics podcast. This is brought to you by Fathom Consulting, an independent research consultancy specializing in macroeconomics, geopolitics, and financial markets. In this series, titled The Rise of China, we explore the emergence of China, its extraordinary economic boom, and the impact that's had on the rest of the world. Each episode features an in-depth discussion with Fathom's team of economists, who use their knowledge and expertise provide insights into the Chinese economy. Episode 5, The Global Financial Crisis, Made in China. Hi, I'm Andrew Harris and I'm joined today by Fathom CEO Eric Britton. Hello. If you look back uh, over the last 20 years, you can see an increasing number of goods that you buy will be labelled made in China. Today we'll be questioning whether the global financial crisis can also be said to be made in China. In the last few episodes, we've discussed how China's pursuit of an export-led growth model facilitated a prolonged economic boom. But as goods flowed out of the country, money flowed in, and China became a net lender to the rest of the world. But not all borrowing is good. As the character Polonius from Hamlet says... Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. And perhaps he was right. Perhaps the excessive flows of credit between China and the rest of the world wasn't a good thing after all. And indeed, there's a school of thought that suggests that China should have been a net borrower, not a lender. So uh, China is rich in people and poor in capital in common with most emerging economies. It has a a wealth of people and relatively little money uh, by the standards of of advanced economies. By contrast, advanced economies have lots and lots of money, lots of capital, and are relatively poor in people, relatively few people compared to emerging markets. The consequence of that is just like weather systems flow from high pressure to low pressure, where there's a lot of something, it should flow from there to where there's a little of it. Capital should flow downhill, should flow from rich, advanced economies into poor, emerging economies. The purpose of that flow is to finance investment in those economies in order that they should catch up with the advanced world. As an economist, we we would therefore think that trade would almost by definition have to move in the opposite direction. So China, by virtue of the fact that it's gaining capital from the rest of the world, should be importing more goods than it exports. So Trump might have a point. Maybe China should have a trade deficit. Absolutely. Yes. In a development economic sense, China should, inverted commas, have a trade deficit. The trouble is China looked at the performance of the emerging Asian economies who did what they were told essentially by the development economics textbooks and by the World Bank and by the IMF and by the international financial architecture in general. They borrowed from advanced economies in order to finance investment in their own economies, which meant that they were running current account deficits. They were importing more than they were exporting, which was exactly what they were supposed to do. The trouble is they overextended themselves in terms of how much they borrowed. They went too far. They invested too much. And then markets and investors became spooked 
and withdrew their money in a hurry, triggering a massive recession, the emerging Asian crisis of 1997-98, which forced all of them into huge recession and huge depreciations for their currencies. China was paying very close attention to that experience and learnt from it. We're going to do the same process of investment, of rapid industrialization that those economies did, but instead of being a borrower from abroad, we're going to be a lender so that we're never vulnerable. We're never exposed to that same threat, the finance from abroad drying up that those economies saw. And that process, that decision and what's transpired after that in the early noughties is exactly what led to put in in train the mechanisms that ultimately led to the financial crisis. And the rest of the world, they saw this money coming from China, they accepted it, but instead of investing it, which is what they should have done, they spent it on financial assets and housing, that kind of thing. They consumed it, that's right. So there was a lot of talk at the time and still about the glut of savings at the global level. But actually, if you look at the data over that period of time, there was no glut of savings. Savings didn't increase at the global level noticeably at all in the late 1990s and the early noughties. That just didn't happen. But what did happen is there was a huge inflow into the global pool of savings from China and from some other emerging economies. And that pool was then mopped up by consumption in advanced economies and by bidding up asset prices in advanced economies. In other words, that saving by China was spent by us, spent principally on buying houses, not building them, but buying them and bidding up their prices. And that's the mechanism that led to the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, 2009, was the extremely cheap flow of credit from China into advanced economies, amplified and enthusiastically encouraged by our central banks and our private banks, indeed, leading to a credit boom across those economies and the subsequent collapse that happened in 0809. That's partially responsible for the world we're in now with persistently low interest rates, like almost no return, because Chinese investors were willing to accept a very low return on their money. Absolutely. China had to somehow or other park its excess savings abroad. And that meant that whatever return anyone else was prepared to accept on the savings, China was always prepared to accept an even lower return than that. And if you've got a huge player at the table prepared to accept even less than anybody else at that table will accept, you're constantly bidding down the return that's available. And that return you can think of as the interest rate. Interest rates were low falling throughout that period and are still close to their all-time lows now. And it's that factor, that flow of savings from China, that's driven that whole process. And there are other effects that China's emergence had on the rest of the world, Uh, other impacts that we've discussed in previous episodes. And all of these things uh, put in place the conditions that we saw in the early to mid-2000s, you know, in the years leading up to 2008. Absolutely. It's not just that credit to advanced economies was cheap because of the flow of savings from China. It's also that imports to those economies were cheap, goods imports, because China was exporting them hand over fist as rapidly as they could and as cheaply as they could. That effect, the Walmart effect as it was known in the US, meant that prices were kept very low too. Uh, competitive pressure on prices was extreme because of the influx of, of Chinese goods to advanced economies. And it's not just interest rates and prices that were kept low by China, it's also wages. So the impact of China entering the global economy 
meaningfully after its accession to the WTO in 2001 was effectively to land some 300 to 400 million people on the global labour market, which is a large number, even by global standards is a large number, and enough to materially bid down the real wage globally, everywhere, particularly in manufacturing industries and in the areas where China had a high level of expertise. And that effect is also still in place today. So the impact of the flow of savings from China was low interest rates, low prices and low wages globally. All of those things conspired to persuade the central banks and other policymakers around the world that there's nothing to fear from the fact that asset prices were ballooning, current account balances were deteriorating, all the other classic hallmarks of massive overheating that were in place in the global economy from 2004 onwards, really. All of those overheating hallmarks were ignored because the central banks were able to say, look, there's no inflation. Wages are not taking off. Long interest rates are still very low. There can't be a problem here. We can't be overheating. There must be a productivity boost or something. The supply side must have increased, improved dramatically. That was a misdiagnosis on a colossal scale. And that misdiagnosis, that failure to lean against the wind over that period is exactly what led us into the financial crisis. So China, if you like, was the primary cause of all this. But it wasn't the only cause. It was actively and enthusiastically encouraged and spurred on by our own policymakers over that period by misdiagnosing the source of low inflation, low interest rates and low wages. So that's clearly a case of beware Greeks bearing gifts, right? So just as the Trojan horse seemed like a harmless gift, but hidden inside were the Greek soldiers. Cheap loans from China hid all of the things you've mentioned, the typical signs of an overheating economy. Absolutely. So what I'm looking at is cheap imports. Who doesn't like that? Someone approaches you in the street and says, I've got a Rolex here. Do you want it? I'll sell it to you. I can guarantee, and you're sure, and there's no no doubt, that this is genuinely a Rolex. I will sell it to you for a quarter of the price of the same item that you can see in that shop there. Do you want it or not? And generally, you'll take it if you're in that market at all. And who will win from that transaction? You will, right? You've got a cheap good, much cheaper than anybody else. And what if I say to you also, by the way, I'll lend you the money to buy this Rolex off me. And the interest rate I'll charge on that loan will be a quarter of the interest rate that you can get from that bank over the street. You'll take the loan, won't you? And who wins from that transaction? You do, because you know you've got a loan much cheaper than you could get it anywhere else. What if I repeat that play day after day, on person after person? Well, you will find down the line there are no banks left. There are no shops left selling Rolexes because they've all been put out of business by me selling these things on the street. So careful. What I saw was low prices. I took them. But inside that Trojan horse of low prices were also a whole raft of other effects which are much less benign and uh, much less to be welcomed in the long term. As Polonius warned. Indeed. (laughs) So as we've seen then, perhaps China or Chinese lending in particular did lead to the financial crisis. So perhaps it was a global financial crisis made in China. So that concludes this episode. Thank you to Eric for joining us. Thanks. If you enjoyed the topics discussed in this episode, why not visit the show notes where you'll find a trilogy of reports written by Eric discussing the is and ought of Nets Trades. To read any of the material referenced in this episode or any other, go to the podcast section of our website at fathom-consulting.com where you can find the show notes. 
and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future content. Thank you for listening to Fathoming Conversation. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fathom Consulting, presented by me, Andrew Harris, and both edited and produced by Liara Gabai. Fathom is an independent consultancy specializing in global macroeconomics, geopolitics, and financial market research. Our economists also produce in-depth research in China, and we have built a suite of analytical indicators specifically to monitor the Chinese economy. To find out more about our research and bespoke consultancy work, go to fathom-consulting.com. If you're interested in the data side of things, check out Fathom's chartbook on Refinitiv's data stream and icon platform. This is our library of over 9,000 ready-made charts containing up-to-date global, macroeconomic and financial market data. Simply type CBook into your icon search bar to find out more. From all of us here at Fathom, thanks for listening to Fathom in Conversation.